This morning we're starting our new series, it's called Hashtag Relationship Goals, and uh, what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks is we're going to be looking at three different relationships, and if we take the principles that we learn in these three messages and apply them to those relationships, uh, they're going to help those relationships be all that they can be. And so we're going to be looking at, today we're going to be kind of talking about the family structure in the home, okay? That's the, the first thing that we're going to be looking at, and so don't check out if you're saying, well, I'm not married. I don't have a family. This is going to relate to everyone. If you're, if you're a college student living in a dorm with somebody else, if you just have a roommate, if you're married, if you're married with kids, whatever, this is going to all fit into that box. And then week two, we're going to look at our relationship with each other. Next week, we're going to be talking about who we are with one another and how we relate to one another to make the relationship the best it can be. And then in week three, we're going to look at our relationship as a church to the rest of the world. And so, and so that's where we're going today. And uh, or for the next few days, but uh, today, you know, relationships in the homes, it's, it's something that all of us have personal experience with, right? We've all grown up in a house where maybe we were the only child, but we still had mom and dad there, and then once we got out of the house, we went and we went to college, or we moved in with somebody, and so we've had roommates, or, you know, we're married now, and so all of us have experience in this. The only person who maybe doesn't have experience in living like this is that, that kid Mowgli from the Jungle Book, so if that's you, um, you know, you were raised by wolves in the jungles of India, okay? Um, but, but for the rest of us, we've all had to relate to other people. We've all had to make connections with other people. And so we're going to look at our living situation because whenever you're in a situation where you're living in a home with other people, there's going to be issues, right? Everybody, every, who's lived in a perfect place where there's never been an issue whatsoever in your house, all right, that's good. Well, I'm glad that all of you were honest this morning. Um, but, uh, but when you just even look at the history that's contained in the Bible of, of what's taken place uh, with people and their relations and living uh, in, in, in together in situations. I mean, we talked about already Cain and Abel, brothers, and one brother murdered another brother, and that was the very first home. So if you can imagine, you know, the very first home breaking down, that we've just gone downhill from there, right? I mean, we can, we can look through uh, Adam and or uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, in, in their world, uh, they decided to, uh, to, they were married and they were doing their thing, but uh, something went wrong, and so they had this great idea of adding another wife to the mix, okay, and that didn't go over too well. There was all kinds of problems and issues with that, right, women? I mean, anybody in here say, well, I think it'd be cool if we added another wife to the mix? No? Okay, that's good. Um, then uh, you've got Isaac's family where uh, one brother was favored uh, over another brother and so it led one brother to want to try and kill another brother and so they had to send one brother off to live thousands of miles away to keep that from happening. It's, it's been something that's happened with families since the beginning of time. And uh, our homes still face the same kind of struggles. Now, maybe you're not tempted to kill anyone in your home. I mean, maybe that, you know, I, I have, so far I have not wanted to murder anyone in my house. That's, that's a good thing, right? I mean, we, we can all feel good about not wanting to kill someone in our house. Uh, now, when you're a teenager, uh, some of you teenagers are like, yeah, I'd like to kill my brother or sister, right? I mean, that, that thought may be crossed through your mind. But, but yeah, we, don't, we have tensions. We have issues. We have stuff in our families. If, even with a, a roommate, you know, there, there's problems and complications with that. But we're going to look at three principles today that if we apply those to our living situation, they are going to help that relationship and that home have a godly foundation and have a godly basis to it. And so the text that we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be in the book of Genesis. 
Uh, It's the first book of the Bible, and we're going to be reading in two different spots. We'll be in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. I just want to give you just a little bit of information about the book of Genesis before we uh, look at it. Uh, Tradition says that uh, Genesis was written by a guy named Moses. I think uh, some of us have have heard of Moses at one point in time in our life. Maybe we saw the movie, uh, what was that movie called? King of, King of, Prince of Egypt, that's it. I can't even remember the name of the movie. All right, but... uh, Here's what I want you guys to know about this. And I know this may, some people may gasp at this, but, you know, we've got this book of Genesis, and Moses wrote the book of Genesis. However, that book has been around so long that there is some stuff in there that Moses probably didn't write. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that the basic content and the stories, that people added stories, that they added events, that they added stuff, but there's words that are probably different in there than when Moses wrote the original text of Genesis. And so I just want you to know that. It's not saying that, uh, that uh, the, the word, that word is not inspired by God. It's just that it's been around so long. We don't have the original copy that Moses wrote. And so we, we can be fairly confident that there's been a word or two added here and there, but it hasn't changed the message, uh, the general stories, and, and the overall content of the book. Okay? And so... Uh, And so another thing that we need to know about the book of Genesis is that in the writing in there, every time a historical fact or custom has been questioned as to whether or not it was legitimate, they've actually found that the book of Genesis has always been accurate. Okay, and so it's historical context and the historical information that it contains within it that we can verify has always been shown to be correct. And so it's a trustworthy thing. Now there is one warning that I always give with the book of Genesis because what a lot of people like to do with the book of Genesis is they like to take it and they'll say, okay, that this is a timeline. It gives us year one, year two, year three, year four. And so we can get into the book of Genesis. We can take a known date that we have. We can find that date go to the book of Genesis, start counting days backwards, and we can figure out the exact day the world was created. You can't do that. That's not the purpose for the book of Genesis, okay? The book of Genesis was not written so that we could figure out exactly what day the world was created and how old the earth is, okay? I just want to put that out there because this book was written for a purpose. It was a, the purpose of this book was for God to show us the foundations of his people and his relationship with his people. That was the purpose of Genesis. The purpose wasn't to give us a day-by-day, blow-by-blow account so that we knew exactly when the world was created. Okay, and so with that, we're going to read our text this morning, and uh, if you're not familiar with where Genesis is at, it's uh, fear not, because we'll have it on the screen behind me. Uh, We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 26 and 27, and this is what it says. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
All right, so Moses tells us here that God created mankind in his image and his likeness. And when, he, when many people read this, they look at it and they go, okay, God created Adam in his likeness, and he, they crea- he created Eve in his likeness. And yes, that is what the text is telling us, but I think there is something a little bit deeper, a little bit more to this text here, because uh, what it says is it says that uh, we were not only individually made in the image of God, but our relationship with one another overall connectedness within this world was also something that was made in the image of God as well. Because what does it say there? It says, God says, let us make uh, that man in our image, okay? You got to see the word us and our are plurals. And so what God is telling us, or what Moses was telling us there, was it was more than just God creating, okay? There was a group of people uh, and I use the word people, but uh, don't, don't take it as like people standing up there making this decision. It was a group of people that were standing there, and they decided we're going to make God in their image. And so who is this group? Who is this us? Well, it's God the Father, it's God the Son, and it's the Holy Spirit, okay? And so there's three persons there that we call the Trinity, And what the deal is, I think, in this text is because there was three people there and they were trying to make human beings in their image, there was more than just two, there was three. And so God is saying, look, you know, it's not only about the man and the woman individually being made in my image, but it's about human beings as a people being made in the image of God collectively, So when we look across this body sitting in here this morning, we see different skin tones, we see different hair colors, we see different eye colors, we see all kinds of different things, and all of that collectively also reflects the image of God. And so because all of this reflects the image of God, and we're made in the image of God, that means that our relationships with one another um, all over, everywhere, especially in our household though, uh, need to reflect the image of God as well. And so our first relationship goal is to have our relationships, especially our relationships with our spouse and the people in our home, mirror the image of God. And so the question becomes, okay, what does it mean uh, to uh, mirror the image of God. What is the image of God? Does it mean that I have to try and figure out how God dresses? You know, does he, he wear his hat sideways? Does he wear a certain brand of jeans? Uh, what sneakers does he put on? Uh, what, what, what sports teams does he root for? I mean, are these, because this is what we do in the world, right? By the way, I can tell you one thing I do know about God is that he is not a Cleveland Browns fan, okay? Because um, because somebody just hates Cleveland because they never win, the Browns never win anything. But, uh, but that's kind of what we do, isn't it? You know, when we are trying to be like somebody, like there's a singer that we like, there's a movie star that we like, what do we do? We go out and we, we try to dress like they dress. We try and talk like they talk. We try and have the phone that they have and the, the shoes that they wear. And we, you know, I'm, I remember doing this when I, was, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a teenager. The guy I wanted to be is Don Johnson from Miami Vice, okay? That is who I wanted to be, okay? And so, like, literally, I went out and, and I got the pants and I had the shoes, and I had the, I had the shirts and the jackets, and I even went out and bought those, those Wayfair sunglasses that he wore. They were 120 bucks. Okay, I dropped them in a river a month after I got them. 
And so that ended my days of trying to look like Don Johnson because I'm like, I can't afford this because, you know, one pair of glasses uh, down the water, 120 bucks. But that's what we do. But when we're talking about uh, mirroring the image of God, we're not talking about trying to look like God in his outward appearance, what he looks like on the outside. We're talking more about who God is in his inner person, in his inner being, spiritually, who he is. And so what are those things? Well, I think that the best way to look at it is to look at the life that Jesus lived. And what we see is a picture of a person that brought forth the image of God. And so what we see is we see a life that was loving, okay? He really cared about those from all walks of life. Uh, He didn't look down on people. He didn't reject people because of their sin, Jesus was also life-giving. He was the guy that everyone wanted to hang out with because wherever he went, went and whatever he did, he had a crowd of people around him and they wanted to get to know him. And it's because he brought life. He also brought hope wherever he went. Whatever he was doing, whatever situation he was in, he brought hope into that situation. Jesus, if he came to your funeral, you were a lucky person. Because there's not a funeral that Jesus went to that he didn't raise somebody from the dead, okay? And so you wanted Jesus to show up at your funeral because he brought hope. He was a force of life change. No one stayed the same after an encounter with Jesus. And he also held to the highest moral and ethical standards. He stayed away from sin. He didn't get tangled up, up in it. And I think those things are kind of the things that make up the image of God. And so the question becomes, what does that mean for us in our relationship? And it means uh, that in our relationship with those that we live with, our spouse, our roommates, our family, that we are loving them. Yes, teenagers, we are even loving our brothers and sisters. Gasp. I know. I know. But we we don't want to punch them in the face anymore. Instead, we give them love, hugs, not drugs, you know, all of that good stuff. We give our we give our siblings hugs. But yeah, we don't want to punch, you know, we need to love those who live in our house, even if our roommate, as they're coming through the house, just drops their dirty boxers in the middle of the kitchen floor. We still have to love them. Our girls, if your roommate just likes to put her undergarments in the dishwasher to wash them instead of using the washing machine, we still have to love them. Now, Loving them, especially when, our, when it comes to our children, doesn't mean that you let them do whatever they want to do and say, it's okay. See, that's a, <laughs> but that's a, the society we live in. That's how we've come to define love, right? If I love you, I'll just let you do whatever you want and be who you want to be. No, that's not love. That's not love. We have to let them know that there are rules and that there are standards and that they need to measure up to those standards. And if they don't measure up to those standards, there are going to be consequences in their life because they failed to meet the standard. Then the, then the home relationship also needs to be life-giving, okay? Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, every relationship really should be life-giving. You should be giving life in some way, transforming someone uh, in, in the relationship. But this means that we speak words of hope and encouragement. We let them know the good things that we see in them and push them to become all that God has called them to be. Okay, That's mirroring the image of God, and that should be our first goal in our relationships with those in our house, to mirror the image of God. Okay, The second goal in our relationship at home or in our family structure is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, and uh, this is what it says there. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord uh, God said, it is not good for, them, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay, so what are we looking at here? What is this telling us? Well, another goal in our relationships with each other in our homes is that we have to be people who mutually complete each other. See, it was not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. But this goes way beyond just our husband and our wife and our spouse. This has to do with everyone within that home structure, everyone that we're in relationship with, because it says it is not good for man to be alone, okay? He doesn't want us to be alone, and there's a lot of people that I know that are married that are incredibly alone, because the two have become one, and they kind of do their own thing, and they don't have any sort of connection outside of the home with anyone else. See, God created us to be interdependent of one another. All right, now you get a little tangential rant. Are you ready for a tangential rant? Everybody loves tangential rants, but, uh, but it's something that I feel that all of us should hear in this room um, because uh, I feel like the church has done a poor job of communicating this when it comes to God and marriage. See, we've got this idea in our head that God has created someone specifically for us that there is only one single person in this world that we are supposed to be married to, and it's our job to hunt that person down and find them and marry them. That's not biblical, okay? And I know some of you said, whoa, some of you, a circuit in your brain went, but here's what the Bible says about a spouse. First, in Proverbs 18.22, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. See, it doesn't say when the person finds the hand-picked woman that God created from the beginning of time for them to be with, that he finds a good thing. It says when God, when man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. Ladies, when you find a husband, you find a good thing. Whether we marry or not marry is kind of left in our hands. As a matter of fact, there's a place in the New Testament that this very topic is addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul tells the Corinthian church this basic thing about marriage because they ask about marriage. And here's what he says. He says, look, if you can handle not being married, I recommend that. Okay, How do, I mean, is everybody like, oh, that's awesome. So, uh, so everybody's just, you're just not gonna get married, right? All you guys, single people in the room, don't ever get married, right? Because Paul, no. But then Paul says, look, if you want to get married, go ahead and get married. The only requirement is this, that the person that you're marrying walks with the Lord. That's all the commandment, that's all the requirement that we're given as far as marriage goes. It's our choice. Make sure that he or she is a believer before you marry them. Make sure that they have the traits that we see in the Bible that should be in a spouse. Okay? Don't dismiss things. You see things that are in their character. Don't say, oh, well, that's not a big deal. No. You need to stop and say, hold on, wait a minute. Is this the wisest thing to do because of what I see there? Make sure that person has the traits 
God tells us to pursue in a spouse. And when we do that, guess what? We're going to find the person God wanted us to marry. We're going to find that person. <laughs> All right. Man, I got some excitement over on this side about that. That's what I like to hear. All right, so enough on that side note. So we mutually complete one another. We were meant to live in relationship with one another. The roommate you have, for some reason, even if they're difficult to deal with, you were meant to be with that person. Or no, they, they, they were meant to help mutually complete you. Okay, even if they're difficult to deal with, it's part of the process. Our spouse is there to help mutually complete us. Okay, and we may say, how? Because, you know, really, I, I've told you guys this before, but uh, when, when uh, Dana and I were engaged, we took a test, uh, and the pastor said, yeah, you guys shouldn't get married. Don't get married. Just don't get married, all right? But it was because we were so different. Um, and... Uh, and so, you know, we look and we say, well, how does this work in our lives? Because, okay, I am a super clean person, okay? I love the house spotless. I want people to walk in and not know that we have a dog, children, or anyone even lives there, all right? That's, that's how I like it. Dana, Dana's not quite so, uh, she's much more relaxed in the area of cleanliness, Okay? I'm not saying she's a dirty person. Don't hear that, okay? I'm just saying she's more relaxed, you know? Or I am a very focused and driven person. Dana is not so much, okay? And before we got married, I was a super intense person, okay? I mean, really intense person because I, I mean, this is how intense I was. I would, I would, uh, I'd, I'd turn in a paper for a class in college, right? And the professor, I'd get it back and he'd give me a hundred on the paper. I'd look at that and go, what's this guy's problem? That's a terrible paper. Why did he give me a hundred on that? That should have been a 72 at best. And there were actually times that I wanted to go in and sit down with my professor and say, you shouldn't have given me this score. That's way too high. But that's who I am. But now if you try to transfer that over to being in an environment like a church, I don't think there'd be anybody left in the church if I was still that person. Because you could do something the best of your ability and I'd say, man, that was a 55, come on, okay? We need to step up your game. But she, in this process of helping complete me has helped to whittle off those rough edges, chisel that intensity down in my life so that now I can come home and if there's, uh, the dog has left some fur someplace, I don't lose my salvation over the fur in that spot. And so if you live with someone, regardless of who it is, and they rub you the wrong way, it's probably part of this process of helping to mutually complete you to make you into the person that God is calling you to be. Then the third goal that we have in our relationships is to use them, is to, use them to multiply a godly legacy. And the verse we are going to use here is going to make some of you go what and scratch your head when I read it. The verse is Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 and uh, this is what it says. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
All right, so the face value reading of this text, it has to do husbands and wives having children. But I want to argue that from a Christian perspective, this verse is not just talking about physical children, it's talking about spiritual children as well. You see, the goal of our life, the purpose of our existence is to use our life and influence to create a godly legacy in whoever it is that we come in contact with. And the people that we come in contact with most in our lives is the people in our home. And so our lives should be a reflection of God in us having an influence on them to leave a godly legacy. Lizzie, if you could come on back up. It it doesn't matter who the person is either. You know, it could be a roommate that we were put uh, in dorms with in college We take our influence that we have and we use it to leave a godly legacy in their life. Are we married? See, for that relationship in a marriage to live up to its its fullest potential, we need to be able to invest in our spouse so that we leave a godly legacy inside of our spouse. Our children, the same thing. The goal of our relationship with our kids isn't just to get them into the best college they can possibly get in. The goal is to invest in them to leave a godly legacy behind. So that 20, 30 years from now, you're looking at your kids and they're serving Jesus and they love Jesus because of the godly investment that we put into them. And see, then what happens is all of those people that we invest in, why this is multiplication, is that then they, after seeing it from us, they go and they live it with somebody else. And they live it with somebody else. And and so you're multiplying your influence by even just investing in one single person. And I would say one of the biggest ways that we can invest and leave a godly legacy is to not just read the Bible, but to take the Bible and apply it to our lives and live it out each and every single day. Because see, the biggest challenge that Christians in America face today is that we espouse the Bible, we talk about the Bible, but when people look at our lives, it's kind of sometimes hard to see what we're reading and what we're asking everyone else to live to be lived out that we're not actually living it out in our lives. We have to be willing to say, you know what? I'm just not going to read this. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to take these words and I'm going to become who God wants me to become. And some of the most powerful words you can ever speak to anyone is this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I screwed up. Use those words in your relationships and that will go a long way to multiplying the godly influence that you have in and with them. So in closing this morning, if we want to live out our home relationships, if we want to live out, have good relationships, have high relationship goals, Take these three things. Mirror the image of God, okay? Just reflect who God is. 
in everything that we do in all the people that we come in contact with. Multiply our godly legacy by investing and doing what we can to help people become more like Jesus. And when we live these things out, completing, mutually completing one another, we're gonna see those relationships be what God intended those relationships to be.